Danny Zacharias is bringing the word today, and I've been asked, I don't know why, to bring a little introduction to Danny. So, of course, I went to the Acadia Divinity College website, and Danny is a graduate of Acadia Div. He graduated from here with his both degrees, MA and MDiv. He is originally from Winnipeg and moved down here and stuck with us. Uh, He's currently working towards finishing up his PhD, and he lectures in the, as you all know, the wonderful languages and New Testament studies. He also has three children and a wife who he loves to spend time (laughs) with. Just saying. But what you really need to know about Danny is, now I could be wrong, it was two years ago, but I believe that Danny is the holder of the Workhorse Award for my first year, and it may be because I sat beside the box and told everyone to vote for him, over his wonderful companion, Dr. Wooden. (laughs) And so there's always been a rivalry between the two for this prestigious award by the students of the college. And he's won it once, I think. It's the only time he's won. I could be wrong. Danny. I think so, no? It's been more than that. It's only been once since I've been here. Neither of them won last year, so it's up for a debate this year, so be prepared. So, Danny, if you want to come on up, um, I'm excited to hear you, and I'm excited to hear what God has laid on your heart to bring us, and so I will pray before you begin. Thank you. Lord God, I pray for your anointing on Danny this morning, that uh, you would give him, you've given him the words to speak, Lord God, and I pray that you would speak through him, and that we would have open ears to hear what it is that you have to say. Lord God, I pray uh, just that we would be open to hearing you. Lord God, send down your spirit and speak through Danny. In your name, amen. Yes, Jody Linkletter is going uh, on her maternity leave, which you may not know is that Glenn and I actually forced her out. Like She, <laughs> she didn't want to go on maternity leave. We said she had to so that we could fight it out again. <laughs> I'm determined to win. <laughs> Thanks for the invitation to preach, and uh, we're going to be talking about Mark 5, 25 to 34, the passage that was just read. And uh, this idea of, of legacy that uh, Lionel introduced to us to talk about uh, is one that I think about often, especially now as a parent, uh, to think of what kind of legacy I'm going to leave for my kids, um, what kind of model am I going to be. And so I'm, I'm glad for spending this semester talking about something like this. And this is why I've turned to this passage. So just to recap that story, uh, Jesus is actually heading towards uh, Jairus' house because he wants, uh, well, he's asking him to come see his daughter. And on the way, uh, this miracle just kind of happens. It, uh, it's not even willful on Jesus' part, really. He's surprised that it happens, and the woman comes up to him. Um, and so... Uh, Mark's uh, narrative there, first of all, I just want to point out that Mark is really trying to draw uh, on the sympathy of the reader, uh, and he does so successfully. Really, the sentence, I'm, I'm using Greek now, guys, the sentence there is just simply a woman touched his garment. 
right? So that's the main idea of the whole sentence, okay? But he piles on these extra clauses, uh, seven in fact, which is, makes for a really long sentence. So he tells us all this extra stuff, right? She's been suffering it for, for 12 years. She's been lost all of her money to the doctor. She, he just keeps going on and on because he's trying to paint this portrait of a desperate, desperate woman. She was constantly caring for herself. So uh, for those of us who know, if, if you have your Bible, you can quickly turn. I won't read the whole thing, but Leviticus 15 uh, is the spot where we read about what woman has to do uh, when she's bleeding, as well as just her time of the month. And so there's the um, fact that they're just kind of, they're unclean, right? And anything they touch is unclean, including people, including wherever they sit. And then it says, and if they're just uh, bleeding in general, all the same stuff applies, and so this woman, if you think about it, the, the fact that it's been 12 years that this is happening, um, this is a really desperate woman. She, if she chooses to touch her husband, if she had a husband or if she had kids, or even if it was just family, she is uh, contaminating them for that day. Which means that they are then unpure for that day. And if the temple and the temple is a focus, obviously, in their religion, and so she's effectively, whenever she's touching anyone, removing them from that those rituals that they would want to be part of. She can't be part of it. So if you think about it, she's avoiding touch constantly. People are looking at her, not wanting to be near her for fear of just simply touching her. It reminds me a little bit of solitary confinement. She's walking around in solitary confinement. And that's, that's brutal. That's, that's, a, that's a form of torture for us, right? We put people in solitary confinement. Um, it reminds me of the movie um, Castaway, if you guys have ever seen that, where Tom Hanks plays the guy on the island, and he slowly goes nuts, right? He, he, makes, he makes a person out of a volleyball and calls it Wilson because he just craves that human contact. He needs to talk to someone. Um, and he cries when the ball floats away. Um, because uh, this goes to one of the core principles of the Bible, that we're created for community. We're created to be together. We're created to be in community and in fellowship with God. So she was ritually unclean. And of course she can make others unclean too. And uh, there's there's a strong indication, not only from the New Testament, but elsewhere, that uh, unlike some of the Old Testament laws, this was kept Right, so they were very—they're uh, making sure that they're keeping to these laws, and it reminds me of a uh, rabbinic example that I just want to explain to you, uh, just so you can kind of get the picture of why this is such a big deal for them and how they viewed this. So there's this uh, example uh, from rabbinic literature, and imagine—imagine imagine I have two glasses here, okay? So I'm holding one glass that has water in it, another glass that doesn't have water, okay? And so this glass that's holding the water is considered unclean. Okay, so if I pour, and, and therefore the water, because it's in the glass, it's considered unclean. And so if I pour water into this glass, it's now unclean, right? Okay, that makes sense. So <clears throat> the question is, um, what if this empty glass is unclean, but this glass and this water is clean? And so if you pour it, the argument was, some of them would say, well, no, this stays clean, that's fine. Uh, because it was, it, or sorry, this one is unclean, this one stays clean, right? Because I'm just pouring this water into here. And others would say, no, when I'm pouring at that point, the cups are touching because the water is connecting them now. And so now the uncleanness of that empty jar is moving up the water stream to this jar and is being unclean. 
So this is, you know, you think about this, this is, you know, I can't imagine living like that. But this is the kind of stuff that they dealt with because they were very serious about staying pure and, and clean so that they could participate in temple life. Okay? So, if you wonder uh, in that story what she's risking, she's risking walking into a crowd and even though she's not touching their skin, she's touching their clothes and their clothes are touching themselves and therefore, as she walked into that group, she is making everyone in that group unclean. Okay? So she is risking it all to do this. Okay? She's risking severe retribution from the crowd. She's doing it in secret. And as I look at her, this portrait of this desperate woman, I think about her reputation, right? Twelve years of this going on, what her family, what the community thinks of her. And at that time, that was her legacy, that unclean one, that one who can't get better, who God hasn't healed, who risks contaminating us by walking around for the day. This woman's reputation was a rejected and unclean person. And so it's probably not hard to conclude that she was probably dead on the inside. This was really her last, last hope. She was risking it all to reach out for Jesus. The next thing I want to talk about is how Jesus, of course, changed her story. She has this desperate faith. She risks everything. And uh, not only that, you know, she, she has just convinced herself, Jesus can do this, right? Just touching his cloak can do this. And unlike all her previous experiences, which we read about, right? She's been trying to figure out how to heal this for so long. She's broke, and she still can't figure it out. Unlike all those previous experiences, Jesus did not disappoint her. And the words used here to describe this miracle is so great. If you just look again at Mark 5 here, where she's talking to Jesus and admitting what's going on, and Jesus responds to her, um, He says in verse 34, He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be well from your suffering. And uh, as I look at the uh, translations as well as the original language, I just love the word that's used here. And the word, for those of you who remember, is sozo, which means to save. Right? So this is the word that is used to mean salvation. Right? And it's used to mean healing. And as I looked at the different translations, uh, and this isn't always the case, I liked King James the best. It said, your faith has made you whole. Right? It's done so much. If we think about that encounter, that faithful encounter with Jesus brought holistic healing. It instantly made her acceptable to the community again. In her mind, it made it acceptable to God again, because she can enter the temple, enter into that fellowship. So he restored so many facets of her life just by that encounter. It wasn't just the healing, although it was that. He said, go and be well of your disease. But he said, your faith has made you whole. It's brought peace amongst your entire life. So it's just that great little word. He could use that, you know, we could have used other words there, but that idea of sozo, that idea of this full, complete wholeness that he brought to her, um, that she's been made whole. And as we can all uh, uh, agree, I'm trying to remember who said it, if it was, I think it was uh, Alex said, that as we encounter Jesus, all of us here can say, uh, he has changed our story. And that's what he did with this woman. He, uh, he uh, encountered her and he changed her story. And I think all of us, I know all of us could spend time talking about what that means for us. 
Um, just briefly, because I mentioned about being a uh, parent and the, the idea of legacy, how that weighs on my mind, um, I'll just say <clears throat> that as far as my own legacy or what I was brought into, wasn't a family of faith in my own household. Um, it wasn't a, a place where I had good parental modeling. Um, it's places where I struggled and where I had hardship, and I can talk about those some other time or if you're interested. Um, but... Um, and I'll mention this because we uh, have talked about uh, in the faculty how we're going to have uh, some lunchtime afternoon discussions, and Anna will talk more about that with our community. But one thing that we're planning on talking about at some point is pornography. Well, when I was 12, I became addicted to pornography, not because I was searching the Internet, but because I found it in my own house. And so that's been a struggle for me. And that was the legacy that I was going into until Jesus changed my story. And so, as I look back and I look at Jesus, <clears throat> I can look back to the legacy that I was supposedly um, meant to be in, and I can say, like um, so many of us, that will not define me. It's changed my story. And that's a story, like all of us, that we need to keep telling. Because encountering Jesus changes our story. And therefore, it can change our legacy, too. Now I want to shift the focus a little bit. We looked at the woman, and um, as I as I um, focused in on this passage, it was funny. I actually forgot, but I've preached on this on this passage before at another church, and so I looked back at my notes and uh, recognized how my thinking on this passage has evolved a little bit. So I preached a whole sermon on this. Uh, in, the, in the points that I just gave, I did a whole sermon, and I focused on that woman. Okay, And that's well and right. Okay, the, this is, you know, She's the, the subject of the healing. Like I said, Mark is at pains to show us what she's going through. Um, but as I look at this passage now, and where it fits in the wider program of Mark and what he's writing, I realize that I've come to focus on the wrong person. And so if we zoom out a little bit in Mark, and look at Mark 1-6, to 6, uh, we have this um, display of what Jesus is doing in his ministry. He's teaching and announcing the good news. He's calling others to follow him. He heals the sick and casts out demons. He forgives sins. He's challenging religious authorities. And he's facing opposition. And why is all that happening? All of that is happening not only because he's a savior, but if we turn to Mark 6, if you turn there with me, Verse 7, he summoned the twelve and began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He goes on to command what they are to take along. If we go down to verse, uh, get down a little bit, verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They were expelling many demons, anointing many sick people with olive oil and healing them. In other words, he spent those early parts of his ministry being an example for his followers to go and mimic. And so he's done this as an example for his own disciples so that they can go and do the same. And as disciples, us, we need to look at Jesus as our example and do the same. Yes, we can sympathize with the woman, and we can understand her story and see how her story is very much our story. But as disciples now, we need to look at our master and say, what is his example for us? And this is what I love about this passage. 
Jesus turned the tables. So I've explained to you this whole impurity and purity and contracting and all this stuff. And uh, scholars, in fact, for a long time were debating uh, what Jesus would have done after. In other words, was Jesus just saying all those impurity laws just, you know, is he just waving them away, right? Did he just say, I don't care about them. Yeah, I know it was written there, but I don't do it. Or some scholars said, no, you know, he was a good Jew. Uh, Obviously, after that, uh, he would have gone and observed the purity laws. But in fact, I think that's wrong. And uh, the reason it's wrong is because Mark is actually displaying how Jesus has flipped the situation. In that story, she was not the contagious one. He was. His purity was imparted onto her. Jesus was contagious. His, His holiness went through to her. And part of this is because Mark is showing Jesus to be our high priest. Uh, In Ezekiel 42 and 44, you can go back and see that the high priest, after he came out, were to take off his garments to not impart holiness on the people. And yet Jesus goes out as the high priest, and he's now the contagious one. So there, of course, is no reason to follow the purity laws for her or for him, because he has imparted holiness. Um, I think of a, uh, for us, what that can mean as we look to Jesus as our, as our example. And I think it's that our practices need to be what's contagious as we go out in the world. It's so easy to be wrapped up and be influenced by what's going on, but we're supposed to be the culture changers. We're supposed to change things. We're supposed to change people's minds, and we're supposed to be examples. A good personal example, and I don't do this to brag at all, because I didn't actually know this until years after. But when I I became a Christian, I was 15, and uh, started going to Sunday school and church and Bible study right away. And so as I went, um, I was... Uh, like many of you uh, would have been or you know uh, youth, I was very hungry for God's word. Uh, I wanted to understand. And so uh, I would go to Bible study and I would go to Sunday school and I would go to church and I'd be asking questions all the time. right? And I would say, can we talk about this? Can we do a study on this? Can we turn to this passage I don't understand? And this kept all going on. And uh, a few years later, um, I was talking to uh, someone who was there and she kind of just casually said, um, you know, it wasn't like that before you got there. Like, all of us kind of grew up in the church. Um, we kind of went to Bible study because our parents made us. We were going to Sunday school because our parents went to the adult class, and so that's where we were expected to go. And once you came, because of your genuine interest, all of us changed. And I don't remember me being the only one asking questions. We were all doing it together. And so, at that point, it was just my practical, it was deriving out of me that just changed the situation. Um, And again, I don't do that to brag because there's times when I'm being the bad example in a group and I can bring down the situation. But you and I are called to be contagious. We're called to be imparting not only holiness, but also being examples for those around us. So we're called to be priests, just like Jesus was a priest. We're holy priests. We're a royal nation. And so... Um, as we follow his example, because this is what he was doing, he was laying out an example for disciples, and we're disciples. So we can choose to be contaminated by others, contaminated by the world, or we can choose to be the contagious ones. So just by way of uh, conclusion, as I said before, our reputation very much will be our legacy. Her reputation, the story of that woman up to that point, was unclean, someone they didn't want to be around. 
But encountering Jesus changes our story and thus can change our legacy. But it's a choice we have to make daily. Like I said, I don't come from a legacy of faith at home. I don't come from a legacy of nurturing fatherhood. But I'll break that cycle. I'll change my family tree because Jesus first changed me. Our habits and our attitudes and our actions will form your legacy to your family, your friends, your church, and anyone you encounter. Because that's the model that Jesus laid out for us. He never wasted an encounter with anyone, and neither should we, neither should I. So like the woman, we've been made whole, and we're being made whole. Like Alex said, it's a process that we're going through. But as we shift focus from the woman to the Lord, He showed contagious holiness, He showed a lasting legacy, and we need to do the same. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for a broken woman who was made whole. Thank you that we can all identify with that. And there may be aspects of our lives where we uh, are still feeling that way, still feeling broken, still feeling like we're uh, reaching out and not quite touching uh, that, that contagious holiness. And just pray for us in those situations. Pray that our faith would keep striving for it. <clears throat> and as we look to Jesus as our example, as we strive to be Christians, those who are imitating Christ, pray that we would be the contagious ones in the society that uh, our examples would be what would change people's uh, hearts to seek for you, would change their minds uh, to love God and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.